You know our slogan around here is better practice, better life. But we're taking this belief to the next level. And we've recently announced the creation of a new association. It's called the Best Practices Association. Our association celebrates the mindset that is better practice, better life. This mindset celebrates time, healthy living, personal growth, clinical excellence, and impacting the lives of your patients and your team through intentional leadership. In fact, we are the work-life balance experts in dentistry. The BPA will coach independent dental practices like yours to thrive by sharing best practices and operational habits, behaviors, systems, tools, and insight that lead to profitability and sustained growth, and you can still have a life. So if you're a dentist that wants to surround yourself with great thinkers, let us help you create your own version of Better Practice, Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. Yo, yo, yo. Hey guys, welcome back to another awesome edition of the Best Practices Show podcast. You ever thought to yourself, I'm growing this dental practice, but what data should I be looking at? And what happens if the data is not good? Should I do something about it? The answer is yes. Today, we're going to talk about those red flags and how to make them green lights. Some strategies for transforming the top three dental KPIs, key performance indicators in your dental practice. It will change your life when you watch these and you know how to fix them. And we do it with our director of education. Her name is Miranda Beeson. You are going to love this. So please listen up. I know you'll enjoy it. We'll see you soon. Hey guys, welcome back to the Best Practices Show podcast. I hope you're loving this as much as we are. Well, even if you're not, we're going to keep bringing it. And today we're going to be talking about red flags to green lights, strategies for transforming the top three dental KPIs with our director of education. She's amazing. And her name is Miranda Beeson. Miranda, thank you so much for being here. I always appreciate you. Hi, Kirk. I appreciate you too. And I'm happy to be here and excited to talk about this today. Yeah. So if you don't know, or if you haven't figured this out yet, Miranda runs the education around here and she knows what she's talking about. And this is a big topic for our community. You know, a big piece of this is making sure that all of your KPIs, which are key performance indicators, it's data that drives results. You know, money is not the most important thing, but you do need to make sure your KPIs are healthy. And today we're going to be talking about when they're not like, what do we do? How do we turn them from red flags to green lights? Now, I want you to talk about this, Miranda. Why is this such an important topic? You do this all day long. You coach some of the best practices in the world. Why is this so important? Thanks. I do coach some of the best practices. Shout out to the clients that I work with and the rest of our community. I love what you just mentioned uh, in terms of why this is important because you just said it's not just about the dollars and it's not. We're looking at this, the data and the metrics because a thriving practice relies on key data metrics in order to have an objective representation of what's happening in your practice and the performance of your team and not basing it on feelings. And a lot of times when we're looking at data, the immediate thought we have is towards money and profitability, which don't get me wrong, I want nothing more than to help people be as profitable as possible. But sometimes what someone's aiming towards might be might not be profitability, it might be one of the things we talk about, which is like working less days, but maintaining our profitability. And so whatever the outcome is that the practice is moving towards, the data and the metrics are what help us to know if we're on track or off track. But one of the biggest questions that our coaching clients have, and certainly some of my teams have had, is what do I do with that information? So I'm tracking the data. I see it. I can see that I'm on track or I can certainly see when I'm off track, but I don't know what to do now to turn that around. So we talk about countermeasures and explaining what countermeasures are, but we have to be able to apply countermeasures when the data is off track so that we can affect the change that we're looking for, whatever that unique change is to our practice in order to make progress 
and turn those red flags that we're seeing on our scorecard week over week into green lights and getting us going in the right direction. Yeah. And I've mentioned this on the podcast before. We're going to be talking about practice metrics, but probably the single most important KPI in my entire life is my son's A1C. He is a type one diabetic. He's 15 years old. And that A1C data point tells us the sum total of the behaviors and adjustments and carb ratios. And it's because we can all say like, we're working hard. We got it all. That is where we've got a team of doctors, a team of nurses, my wife and I, him, you know, and so no different in your practice. These KPIs are the sum total of things. And what we're really going to focus on and you'll always hear from us if you get involved, is how do we make these healthy? And so healthy KPIs lend themselves to less like crazy thinking. And I'll just go there. I'm an eye on the disc profile. You know what that means? I love people and I love stories. And I love telling myself negative stories when things aren't working. And so KPIs that are healthy make all those go away. I don't say, you know, who's doing what, what's going on. I look at the data and I go, oh, sleep well tonight. And so, you know, they're not always green, but when they aren't, we need to know what to do. And those are called countermeasures because these particular KPIs that we're going to go through in this podcast, I'm telling you, if you follow Miranda's lead on this, you're, you're going to see your practice just get better. So any other thoughts before the data, the data is the most important piece, but knowing what to do with it is critical. So in the example that you just used of your son and his A1C to just look at it and say, man, his numbers sure are off today. Right. All right. Moving right along. Let's go out to dinner. Yep. (laughs) Right. That's not going to help the situation. In fact, in the end, it's going to make things worse. If we just put our head in the sand report, you know, off track, moving on, off track, moving on. So it is so important to measure data. And I think there are practices that are good at that piece. And then where they get stuck is now, what do I do if I want to turn this around? How do I encourage my team? What processes or systems can I put into place to get things where they want to go? So we just picked our top three today. Um, We just had a podcast recently with Robin Tyson, one of our awesome coaches, and she talked about the seven KPIs that help us to understand our practice health. And we're not going to go through all of those today, but I did pick the top three that most practices are familiar with and monitoring on a regular basis. And we'll just talk about how can we shift things and make some change, hopefully in a positive direction in your practice. Yeah. So let's go there. What's the first KPI? Well, the first one's production. And if Barrett were on here with us, uh, he would tell us it's the most useless KPI to measure in the practice or something to that accord. Specifically, he was mentioning gross production. Gross. I was going to say, and that's relative to gross production, how often we focus on gross production. And what we really know is that net production is what tells us a more realistic story of what we're doing in the practice. But I wouldn't say that there's a dentist out there who doesn't know what production is and probably is tracking that or running a daily production report, at least, if not weekly or monthly. So we're going to start with production as our first KPI that we're talking about countermeasures for. So if you have a production goal that you've intentionally set for your practice per day, per month, for the year, and it's off track, we have to look at ways, strategic ways that we can work effectively to shift or change that. So the very first thing that I would say as a countermeasure here is performing a fee analysis, taking a look at your fees, especially if you have not in a long period of time, I would say at least once a year, evaluating your office master fee schedule and comparing that to a national database or your regional average with ACT here our coaches have access to an NDAS report that we work with our teams on where we can look at in your region, what percentage do you fall within? And I always ask teams uh, before we even go down that path of looking at what their numbers are, I ask them, where do you believe that you fall within your community as a dentist? Are you in the top 10% in terms of the services and experience that you provide? Or do you think you're below average? Okay, great. Now let's take a look at how your fees represent your value to your patients. Yeah, absolutely. I'll just piggyback on what you said so well. There's inherent challenges with gross production all the time. 
Nobody really, I, I mean, there are a few practices that have accurate gross production, but as you can imagine, number one, it's amazing to me how many people don't put in their master fee schedule. Mm-hmm. They're putting in something else or they don't even know what it is. You should always be billing out your full fee, even if you're 100% PPO, because you can show patients the difference, you can see the difference, and you can talk about the next number, which is called write-offs, shortly. The other inherent challenge with gross production is that you have all these friends from high school, and you have a big family with all these people that ask you to do dentistry for free, and you say, don't put it in the schedule. It's my sister. I'm just going to prep her uppers today, all day, and there's no production at all today. So you have to put everything all the time in the computer at full fee so that you can account for your time and growth potential. So it's one of those things that, again, gross production is important. Now, one more thing, I'll just add context to what Barrett says about gross production. Here's what he really means. I go to a lot of conferences, and if you're listening to this podcast, you do too. You go to some conference. Some dentist goes, well, I produce 1.8 million and it's one doctor. And you think, oh my gosh, 1.8 million. Well, two practices that both produce 1.8 million where one practice collects all of it and one practice writes off 33% of it. It's not the same deal. One practice has a lot of money. The other practice has no money. And the other practice that's writing off 33%, you guys hear me talk about this all the time, but we're, we're experts at it. You're working one out of every three days for free. And you come home and you look at your significant other and you go, honey, or I, I'm doing this for us. And your significant other says, thank you so much because you're working so hard for nothing, you know, type of a thing. <laughs> so I'm having fun with you here on this podcast, but it is no fun to work that hard and not make money. So our purpose in this podcast is to fully educate you. Now, again, I'm going to go off the rails because we're coaches. This is all we do. We roll up our sleeves and we get deep into practices and figure out all this stuff. And if you're listening to this podcast, we want you to know the real impacts of these numbers. I'll be quiet. Now you can (laughs) take it the rest of it. So what else do we need (laughs) to know? Lots of added value there. It was well worth your time. All right. Um, I will share something that you just mentioned. It made me think about, I was just talking with a client recently and she is primarily contracted with insurance. And so it's like, well, why do I need to raise my fees? I'm going to be you know, writing it off anyway. It's just a bigger write-off that I'm going to end up showing on paper. But what I shared with her too is when you do go to renegotiate your fees with the insurances that you're contracted with, if you're renegotiating and they're looking at your master fee schedule and you're in the 30th or 40th percentile for your region, they don't feel a need to raise your contracted rate. So there's two different pieces to what you just mentioned. One is always bill your full fee. And I agree a thousand percent. Always make sure that what's being posted in your office is your full fee, not the contracted fee. A lot of times what clients will share is that they send the full fee to insurance, but that's very different than posting and billing your full fee. Um, Because again, the patient doesn't see that and it's not indicated within your software as your master fee schedule for future planning purposes. So step one, just do a solid fee analysis on at least an annual basis. And if you find yourself in the 40th or 50th percentile, and you know in your heart that you are in the top 90% in your area in terms of the services that you provide and the care that you provide your patients, you have to incrementally make changes and, and raise those fees to where you do get closer and closer to what you believe your true value is. Yeah. Just if you if you're listening to this podcast, you don't belong in that neighborhood. You should be up in the 70 or 80 or 90th percentile just because you care, you're committed. Um, I have no doubt your dentistry is better than average. So our goal is to Absolutely. challenge the heck out of you. What else do we need to know about gross production? You want to look at to boost your production, another thing to do is two two things around non-covered services. One, if you do live within an area that allows for you to charge your full fee on non-covered services in terms of your state legislation on fee capping, 
then most certainly charge your full fee on those non-covered services. I'm going to say to do your due diligence because in your state legislation, there are some insurance plans that if you are contracted with self-insured plans that are part of larger conglomerates like a Walmart or Coca-Cola, really big organizations, you you actually have to follow their guidelines. But if you can look at your state legislation, determine if you have fee capping legislation or not, and then certain or most insurance plans, you can in fact charge your full fee for things like an occlusal guard if it's a non-covered service or an implant if it's a non-covered service within their plan. So that's one aspect of looking at how non-covered services can benefit your practice. The other is continuing to build on skills and services that fall outside of insurance parameters. So when we're looking at services around clear aligner therapy and whitening services, uh, veneers, things of a cosmetic nature, if that's something that interests you, when we're looking at sleep and some of the things that are happening in the world of sleep right now, some of that falls outside of insurance parameters. So looking at services that you can build into your practice that do fall outside of those common um, insurance reimbursement procedures. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So much to think about. That's why you need a great coach. That's right. <laughs> So there's two more here in this section. So one is maximizing hygiene services. As we know, the hygiene department, being a hygienist myself, um, we're a major influence in the productivity of the practice. By way of the procedures that we are performing ourselves and diagnosing and treatment planning and treating periodontal disease, also in our treatment presentation, and really queuing up services for our doctor in order to help the doctor and case acceptance. So looking at systems and processes within your hygiene department that help to maximize not only the care that your patients have exposure to, because if we do improve our periodontal protocol and our periodontal diagnosis with patients, treating more and more patients who have periodontal disease, signs and symptoms, and active disease, we're not only making them healthier and providing a better level of service, those are more productive procedures for your hygienist to be performing. And so you're gonna look at the production per visit and production per hour of your hygiene team escalate over time, the more and more we incorporate of those services. And what you say all the time, Kirk, is the more we focus on being healthy periodontally, the more patients commit to restorative procedures as well. Right. And that's also part of what we can implement into systems with our hygiene department is how are we doing a better job at presenting through co-discovery and allowing our doctors to have a better approach at co-diagnosis and getting case acceptance on the treatment coming out of the hygiene rooms also. Yeah, if anyone's a fan of Dr. Bob Barkley, he always mentioned this, and this is way before my time, the influence of perio on a patient. They will always want more restorative and we see it true in the numbers. So it's so powerful when you can maximize your hygiene services. And the other thing we wanna maximize to keep production rolling is our schedule efficiency. So, so many practices that come into coaching, uh, they're coming to us for a reason, and one of those is they, they know they may not be as efficient as they can be. And so when we're really intentional with ideal day block scheduling, looking at what we need and want to produce in order to meet our goals on a daily and monthly basis, then we can build a schedule daily and weekly that helps us to meet those goals consistently. When I work with teams around this, the thing I tell them first is a number one, you have to know what you want to be producing every day to get where you want to go. And from that, we can start to build out the blocks within our schedule that provide the appropriate types of services to not only meet the needs of our patients and the frequency in which they need these services provided, but also consistency in our ability to produce. There's nothing worse, Kirk, you've probably heard it from doctors before, because I know I have, than a doctor leaving at the end of the day feeling spent, just yep. totally exhausted, wiped out, driving home with the radio off because they've just been burnt for this whole day. And then it was like $1,000 of production. Yeah. They were just roll skating from room to room to room. 
and and produce next to nothing and they're wiped out. Yeah. And so you're opening Pandora's box because this is one of my favorite conversations. When you're wiped out, it lends itself to bad behaviors. That's when a glass of wine tastes so good on a Monday, you know, (laughs) and a second one tastes even better. And you start to reach for that third one. You know, you're compensating for other things when you're wiped out. It lends itself to bad conversations, bad habits, bad everything. Now, I get it. Dentistry is challenging. But here's the truth of the situation. You have to be careful who you listen to in dentistry. And I'm not here to tell you, oh, we're right all the time. We love this stuff and we study. But I listen to podcasts too much. My wife is like, you got to stop listening to these podcasts because they make me crazy. And people are out there teaching, you know, expand capacity, open up an operatory, add, 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 add. That is not expanding capacity. Adding ops is not expanding capacity. It's just adding ops. Adding hours is not expanding capacity. It's just adding hours. Because when you talk about maximizing schedule, everyone would agree the schedule is one of your greatest allies in growing production. But you don't need more hours. You need better hours. Let me give you an example. Let me just go there. Back in the day, I've been doing this for 26 years. Back in the day, early on when I started to learn about this, one of the exercises I had to do, this is way back when we had paper, we had dentists bring in their schedules and we had to cut it up into all these tiny little pieces. And so we had to take their schedules that existed. And we used to joke as coaches and consultants, if we took everything out of the schedule and we only put back like the green appointments, their productivity would skyrocket and double in production. So this is what we do. We cut up all these little appointments and we organize them into three different buckets, you know, green, yellow, red. And you'd only put back most of the green and every dentist would go, holy moly, that would be like twice the production every day. And you're like, yes. Now the joke was we could never really take everybody out of the schedule and put them back until the pandemic. So a lot of you experienced double production that you're normally accustomed to when you came back from the pandemic. You know why? Because you had all of this work sitting right there and you didn't reach up. Your team members did not pick up the phone and call the patient that canceled 11 times to get him back in. You were only calling the people that wanted to pay, get the work in. So I had practice after practice that was stacked with green work ready to go. And they'd go, holy moly, I like produced $200,000 this month. And it was only 14 days. And I'm like, do you know why? And they're like, no, why? And I'm like, okay. So here's the point. When you get the schedule right, your team understands it. You'll be shocked by how much more you can produce in the same time or less. Don't you think? I do. And I love when a client says to me, you know, we get on a call, tell me a celebration. Oh, I had the best day today. I just feel good. It's already three o'clock, but I I could go another couple hours if I needed to. I'm like, tell me what was in your schedule today. And they're like, well, I had a three hour prep this morning and I, you know, and they go through the day and they tell me what was great about it. And I'm like, so why can't we build your schedule so that you feel like that nearly every single day? If those are the things that you love to do and you didn't end up rushing around at the end of the day, treating three emergencies. Well, guess what? Let's not put emergencies in your afternoon anymore if that drives you crazy. And so I think that sometimes we feel like because we have to accommodate our patients that we can't also accommodate our own selves. And it's just like on the airplane, you know, put your mask on first before you put the mask on others. Um, We have to practice self-care. And to me, that's schedule care. And when we're taking care of our schedule and we're taking care of ourselves and our team, then we can intentionally place patients into the appropriate places and we can still accommodate and serve them in a very reasonable time frame. I actually was talking to a client about this and they do accommodate patients. They'll squeeze them right in the next day and they break their own blocks ultimately. And I'm like, you know, being nice isn't always being nice, doctor. You're being nice to that patient and that does feel good but you're not being nice to yourself. You're not being nice to your assistant who had to work through lunch. You're not being nice to the patient after lunch who had to wait, but they showed up on time. And so ultimately, if we take good care of our schedule, maximize the efficiency of the services that we're providing, not only are we going to produce more consistently and have a lot less of that fluctuation, So we're also going to feel better. And ultimately, that's what we as coaches are trying to help people do is to be able to, you know, like we say, live a better practice and a better life to feel like you can go home at the end of the day and be fully present 
with your family and not have to sit in your driveway and decompress before you walk through the door. Oh, you hit the nail on the head. So well said when you feel better. Now, the schedule for me, I'll just tell you this. This is terrible and I should see a therapist for this. But nothing makes me a better husband or a better dad than when today was a good day. It's terrible, but it's true. When today went like it was supposed to, it's the type of schedule I like. I'm a great, I come into the kitchen, I'm like, what's up? How you guys doing? I am all in. When today didn't go the way I wanted to and I'm working against myself, I'm double spent. And I can bring energy, but like the schedule for you, Doc, if you're listening, is critical. Not only your production, but your mental health. So what's the next KPI, Miranda? The next one is write-off percentage. And being aware of, that's where we talked about our gross production, that, that badge of honor that people show up wearing at the trade show, when we know ultimately someone could very well be writing off 30 or upwards of 40% of what they're gross producing. So it's really important to know what is our write-off percentage? What percent of our full master fee schedule are we writing off of the services that we provide? And so step number one as a countermeasure is just if you don't know this information, learn this information about your practice. Like that's just step number one. If you don't know, if I asked you what your write-off percentage was and you don't know, countermeasure number one, run a report and figure it out. Like that's the, the starting point here. And then we talk all the time at ACT about, you know, we're not saying that everyone has to get out of PPO participation, but we can see what it does and it changes people's lives. And so step two here, a countermeasure to consider is reducing your participation in PPO plans. We look at the average amount that a doctor is writing off and it is upward of 40%. And that's nearly half of your work week that you're working for free and your team is giving effort and energy and you're not seeing the reward from that. So we have a PPO roadmap that we work through and we'll have that as a link available to anyone listening. And it helps you to look at what are the metrics within my practice because you can't just go crazy and just say, I'm going to drop all my PPOs because that won't work. Right. It definitely has to be strategic when you're looking at how you're going to step away from those contract restrictions. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, a, this is a good question you have to ask yourself. You know, everyone talks about, well, selling out to the DSOs and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, when you're, when you're working with that many insurance companies, they own your practice. They own your time. They own your fee schedule. And part of why you became a dentist was the freedom of choice, freedom of choice to do procedures, to do what was best interested, uh, you know, in the best interest of patients, to manage your time well, and to bill your full fee. So it's really, I want you to hear this. That's a whole nother conversation. And what Miranda said is exactly right. But really, it's the percentage of your patients that pay your full fee. If you're really going to be a great business owner, you have to increase the percentage of people that pay your full fee. And so that's a better way to look at it. And as you start to do that, let's say you're 100% PPO, but then 25% pay full fee and then 50% pay full fee. I, I'll tell you right now, your practice is getting better exponentially with those two steps. So it's really important to have some countermeasures for those numbers. Yeah. And another countermeasure for write-off percentage is outside of that PPO realm. We also have other things that we're writing off within the practice. So this is where we talk about, it doesn't have to be go fee for service doctor, although we can help you get there. If you are still contracted with insurances and you just want to look at how can I reduce this write-off percentage, there's a couple of things we want to look at. And one is elective adjustments. And the other is if you do have a membership plan, what are the adjustments that are happening and the write-offs that are happening for that membership plan? So step one, when we're looking at elective adjustments, countermeasure to jump right into is looking at what adjustment types you have set up with your practice management software and then making sure that they are specific enough that they're accounting for all of the different ways in which you give away your dentistry and your time. And there's nothing wrong with doing that, but it, there is something wrong with not knowing what you're giving away. Right. And so I usually encourage, uh, or I'll see in practices, professional courtesy. So you'll have an insurance write-off and then everything else is a professional courtesy. 
But within that realm, we have so many different reasons for which we've applied that professional courtesy. And it's just the default in our software. So we have to look at things like, I love uh, a doctor applied courtesy. So when a doctor is being generous with their time and skills and services, and they decide they're going to offer a courtesy to a patient, or um, I'm going to do that one for free, go for it, doctor, if you're altruistic and that fills your bucket. But let's account for that as a particular adjustment type so that at the end of the year, we can actually analyze, or at the end of the month even, how much are we giving away with those doctor applied courtesies? And there's other things that we do within the practice as well. When we're honoring a previous treatment plan, if maybe we've raised our fees and we've agreed that for a period of time, we're going to honor a treatment plan for 45 days or whatever it may be, or possibly we do a lot of redo dentistry. You know, maybe we have associates in the practice and they're still learning. And so some of the dentistry that we're, that we're having done has to be redone and we're coding that out as an adjustment. Well, let's code it out as an, the appropriate type of adjustment so that we can see how much are those challenges with our skill set impacting our dentistry overall. So I just think it's really important to take a look at your adjustment types that aren't insurance or membership plan related and break those out as specifically as you can so that you can track for and run reports to measure where you might be able to make small incremental changes over time. Yeah, that is so important what Miranda just said. And we had somebody in our last To The Top study club who said they had 14 different types of adjustments in their computer. And what that allows you to be able to do is make judgments on those. When everything is a professional courtesy, you know, and you're just giving it all away. It's good to give things away, but now you can choose. And the other challenge with good-hearted dentists is they often give these professional courtesies away throughout the day, all the time, and it's sprinkled everywhere. And at the end of the month, you're like, I don't have any money, you know? And so it's okay to do that. But the data, again, allows you to be able to make great decisions later on. I love it. What's number three? Yep. So collections percentage is the next KPI that we would want to talk about. How could we apply countermeasures if we are realizing that we're off track for our goal for collections? And I'd be the first to tell you that I think everyone's collections goal should be 100%, right? Like we want to try to collect 100% of what we produce. That that should be everyone's goal. I know we also talk about a range anywhere from 98 to 100% is really um, ideal. That's a good spot to be in, but why not shoot for a hundred? And so when we're looking at that collections percentage, if we're at 91, 92, 95%, and we're reporting on that week after week or month after month, and we realize we're not hitting that goal, we have to start doing something differently in order to affect change. And so one thing that you can do is establish a financial policy within your administrative department. And I really like having a financial policy that is outward facing to your patients and then having a much more robust and detailed version of that financial policy that is inward facing for your administrative team. And when I mention a financial policy, what I mean is we make it very clear to our patients when they join our practice when we expect payment for services, how we're going to be able to help you manage that payment, what types of payments we accept, and looking uh, very clearly at that, not just putting it right in the middle of the new patient forms that get emailed, but actually having a conversation at that first appointment and reviewing that together with the patient so that they're very clear on what the expectations are here in the practice. I cannot tell you the number of times working in the front office that someone would say, well, I didn't know I was going to have to pay that today. Mm -hmm. And if we can put that expectation very clearly in front of them from the beginning, that is avoided. And now we won't have that conflict conflict ultimately. Yeah. And what I will say is the team has to know what that is though, as well, your administrative team, and they have to be able to support that. Yeah. And you and I did a webinar yesterday that you were just brilliant and we shared this, but the admin team is the most under-trained, you know, and neglected. They don't really, and when, what, what I mean by that is that when you have a team member that works up front and they like collecting money, they feel it's their responsibility and they're trained really well, they can become an incredible 
asset to the practice and um, for a lot of different reasons, more than than just the money type of a thing. So you got to train your people really well and you got to have the right people in the right seats on that. Now, one more thing I would just want to add, Miranda, you said 100%. I totally agree. I think 100% should be the minimal. Let me explain. If your collections, net collections, has been 96% for the last five years, there's some work to do. You should probably be collecting some past dollars in that respect. And also, too, shout out to Dr. Amy. I won't mention her last name, but she was in her last TTT. And she's like, I've been doing this acting for like four or five years now. And now my collections are greater than my production. And I go, I go, really? She goes, by a lot. I go, how did that happen? She goes, treatment coordinator. So she's got a treatment coordinator collecting all this money on dentistry. She hasn't even done yet. Yep. So that's kind of I fun. Have, I have several teams that are over 100% in their collections, oh, like consistently over 100% because they've implemented strategies because they had an internal financial policy. The administrative team who's asked to collect money knows this is how we do it and when we do it. And when we have large procedures, we reserve a portion of that fee so that to we request that as a uh, refundable deposit to reserve that time. And so now we're not the next system we're going to talk about AR. We're collecting past due balances and we're pre-collecting for services that we haven't even performed yet. So we are at 103, 104, 106% on a consistent basis. And that goes to some, another piece that's a bonus countermeasure here of having the right people in the right seats. And, and we, we talk a lot, you and I about, Whoever's collecting money in your office has to be confident at asking for money. Mm -hmm. It's very, very important to look at who is in that seat in your practice that's going to be asking for payment and ensuring that they are someone and Ariel, and I will often say this, Ariel, one of our awesome coaches, we have to be a little sweet and spicy. You have to be kind but direct and ensure that you're receiving the other end of that expectation of payment at time of service. Yeah. So Ariel, shout out to Ariel. This is, she has some great collection stories. They're awesome. And so if you come to our to the top study club, you'll hear all these stories, but, uh, Ariel is so great. She says in the morning huddle, I call out the people that owe us money. And I say, they see me first before they go in the back. Don't you dare send them back there. I'm collecting that money today. And I'm like, okay, it's, it's great to have somebody on your team that, knows how to do that and it excites them a little bit to do that. So um, great. Yeah, that's one of the countermeasures I actually have for this. So you're right on, which is morning huddle. All right, let's go there. Exactly let's go that, there. Right. Like making sure that at the morning huddle, while each clinician has to be responsible for bringing important information to the huddle about the patients they're seeing that day, the administrative team has a responsibility as well of taking a look ahead at who's coming in and making sure that everyone knows if there's someone who owes us money and that they have a plan for. Like you just said, just everyone know, mark a dollar sign on Joe Schmo because Joe has to stop and pay me before he goes back. I've been working really hard to collect on that. And then same thing at the huddle. If you know, if your clinical team is telling you and recapping on their patients that someone has a treatment plan that we presented last time, they might be ready to move forward today. As an administrator, I'm gonna be ready with that treatment plan with the reservation fee that's expected, ready to go, so that we're set up for success to have a higher likelihood of closing that treatment and going ahead and collecting on as much of that service as we can. So it's really important to make sure that everyone's present at the morning huddle. Every department is important because we have to be able to cross communicate. And we all know in a dental office, the only time that's gonna happen is if we make that happen. And so if we do it first thing in the morning when we're all ready for the day and everyone knows, nope, that person I can't take back. And then we hop on the radio. Hey, Miranda, did you have a chance to talk to Joe? I'm ready to come get Joe. Right. Yep. We are good to go. Come and get him. Yeah, totally agree. And if you're not doing a huddle, you need to do a huddle. Come on. And if you're telling yourself while you're listening to this podcast, while you're driving in going, oh, our huddles look terrible. That is your fault. <laughs> you are the <laughs> steward of your practice. You can't tell yourself that that kind of story. You have to say, no, our huddles are amazing because that's the fastest way to fix the practice is before you get started. Everybody's on the same page. You can connect dots. It runs when it's done really well. You'll be amazed by how bet, how much better the schedule is, how much better the financials are, how people feel about what happens during the day. So a really well run huddle will make these numbers better. And there's one more piece on collections that we need to talk about. What is that? 
Yes. And that's the pit stop, which is that handoff that happens from the clinical team member to the administrative team member when they're finished with their appointment. And what I would say the worst version of this would be is, okay, bye, Susie. See you next time. And Susie walks right out the door. We have to stop our patients and and uh, inter- have an interaction with our front office team when an appointment is over. And it happens quite often in the office where they didn't have any treatment to be scheduled. And so they can just go ahead and head home. But wait, they might only have 80% coverage on their x-rays or what if we've we know that they've met their max for the year administratively and so they actually have to pay in full today for their appointment and now we've just let Susie walk out the door so it's really super important to make sure that when we stop uh, when we finish our care at the back when we stop up front to talk to our administrative team and with our pit stop we talk about sharing very specific information from that appointment to make sure that one the information that's passed from the clinician to the administrative team member is very useful and two so that the patient hears repetitively what we did today, what we're doing next, why we're going to do it, building value in the care that they've received. And now we can either present treatment and collect right now or collect that reservation fee because there's value, or we can just collect on whatever whatever it is that they owe for today. Um, And maybe they don't. And we just get to say, Susie, have a wonderful day. But if we don't stop and make that connection with the administrative team, we do have the potential to lose out on some of our collections. And this is probably one of the biggest things I see is, oh, well, they have insurance, so I just let them go. But more and more and more insurance plans are starting to customize the benefit that they are providing on services. It's not the same as it used to be where everybody has 100% on their hygiene services and their x-rays. There's a lot of variation now within plans at 60% on periodontal maintenance or 80% on periodontal maintenance. And so there's usually a portion that the patient does owe. And if we don't collect that today, and stop and have that pit stop or that handoff exchange, then all that's going to do is fall into our accounts receivable and we're chasing it down from that point forward. Yeah, a couple things. Pit stop is procedure investment time. And so a lot of our offices, it's one of the most important systems you'll create in your dental practice. And I have a lot of offices all over the country. They just have these pads and it says P with a line, I with a line, T with a line. Now, you might think that's pretty rudimentary, and it is, but there are some doctors that call audibles on treatment. They're like, I just did the tooth next to it today. And, you know, you leave the person at the front, you leave them to hang out to dry. They have no idea what's going on. We usually pull a pin on a hand grenade and say, good, good luck with that. No, we got to set them up for success. It's also about communicating clearly with the patient. I'm going to take you up to the front. Mrs. Jones, here's what we did today. Here's what we'll be doing next time. And your next appointment will be a three-hour appointment. I do these appointments or our doctor does these appointments at 7 a.m. I'm going to take you up to the front. And Miranda's going to find a nice 7 a.m. And you can expect to leave by 10. See how I'm setting her up for success instead of saying good luck? And then the other thing that you said that's so good is that I'm a big fan of elegant handoffs, like really well done handoffs. And one of my favorite is that everybody should be looking at four sets of eyes, which means uh, nobody should ever be looking at two eyes, which means you just leave the patient there and you're like, hey, good to see you. Bye bye. And then you take off and then you can see the patient. If you're an admin team member, they got one eye going one way, one eye going the other way. They have no idea what's going on. When you've got the chair site assistant or whoever is doing the elegant handoff and everybody's looking at two sets of eyes, you as an expert, you will become, you'll know when somebody's off and you'll go, okay, wait a minute. Let's get on the same page before we move to the next step. And you want to make sure the big thing in this is that the more you do up front, the less you do later. When everybody, when a pit is done really well, everybody knows what it is, what I'm going to pay, what I'm responsible for, how long I'm going to be there. One more thing, I could go off in the pit for a half an hour is the logical progression of a PIT is critically important to the brain. Because if you're talking to me about four crowns, I got to go home and tell Sarah that this is going to be, what, $60, $8,500. I totally missed the time on it. I thought it was going to be an hour. Like, I'm just worried about telling her how much money it's going to be. And you have to write it down. All information's got to go through the eyes. And this is too much information. But the pit is a critical element system to making sure that no surprises happen in in a dental practice. 
Totally agree with you. All right. <laughs> I will say too, the eyes piece is so important. Body positioning when we are doing those handoffs is incredibly important. I have watched and observed teams that say, oh, we do that. And then what I see is the clinician coming around the back of the counter, leaning down and looking at the computer with the administrative team member, pointing at things, talking about stuff. And the patient's just standing there kind of waiting to figure out how they fit into it. So what I often say, same thing with a clinical handoff, because I could go for 30 minutes on that, <laughs> is you know, we want to make sure that the patient is an active participant in this exchange of information, that they are not passive in that handoff. So when you're sharing procedure investment and time with the administrative team member, you're standing in a way that, like you said, you are having a conversation amongst the three of you. You're looking to the patient. You're looking to your administrative team member. If you're a clinician and you're saying, patient, is there anything else that I missed? What else can I answer for you before I allow Susie to take it away here? They're very much an active participant in that exchange of information because it is for the patient just as much, if not more, than it is for the team members exchanging that information. Amen. I love it. We will do another half hour on the on handoff. So, um, <laughs> but when you put all these together, you look at production, write-off percentage, collections percentage. Now we talk about the gaps and the, these are some critical KPIs. And if you're struggling with any of these, you don't understand them, reach out to us. We can help you. But when you start to look at these, you're going to have a lot of questions. You're going to have a lot of insight. It'll tell you a lot about your practice and you'll ultimately know what do we have to do to make them healthier? So Miranda, what are some final takeaways on this? I would say that ultimately it starts with awareness. So making decisions off of feelings is not going to allow us to progress. Making decisions out of fear is not productive for our practice. And truthfully, we see and hear that a lot. And so if we can take feelings and fear out of the equation and use tangible data that we're tracking consistently. We use a 90-day scorecard with our teams. We have a GAPS scorecard that measures the whole practice health for the clients that are working with our coaching department and in our study club. When you're tracking these things and you can see it in black and white, we don't have to make fear-based or emotional-based decisions anymore about how we're driving our practice. And that's also really helpful with our team, and it helps to support trust and consistency with our team as a leader. And the other thing to think about is it's a lot. We just shared three KPIs out of the seven that we said are the top KPIs in a practice. And I think we had at least four countermeasures for each of these. So this is a lot to do. So like you said, if you need help, that's what we're here for. We'd be happy to help. But also just know that you can't do everything at once. Right. You're going to have to look at the data and set some annual goals and then look quarterly and take these one quarter at a time. What do I need to prioritize first, second, third, and fourth? And let's build some systems and discussion with our team quarter by quarter throughout this year to make as much impact as we possibly can. You will feel defeated if you just jump in and say, we're going to do everything in this podcast. No, but you're going to look at what is going to be the most important thing for you right now and prioritize that in quarter one and then something new in quarter two. And slowly but surely, you're going to make huge progress, but it's just going to be one kind of baby step at a time. Love it. So I'm hopeful that we'll have uh, some listeners in the room at our To the Top this spring. In April, we're going to be talking about data and how do we turn data into dollars? How do we navigate these numbers and learn more about countermeasures that we can apply and what they mean to the health of our practice? And um, I just love helping teams figure these things out and, and create solutions for themselves that fit and work within their practice. Yeah. Now, I told you guys at the beginning of the podcast, she's brilliant. And she proved it again today. So it's awesome to have great people around you. But she really knows what she's talking about. And we have a team of people around here. This is what we do. And so I'm going to highly encourage you, like Miranda said, join us for our To The Top Study Club. It's one of our favorite things that we do. We have some of the best leaders in the country. You're in a study club of other people trying to do this. You'll feel really well supported. It's amazing. And in April on the 19th and 26th, like Miranda said, from data to dollars, navigating the numbers game, you're going to learn a lot about numbers, what they, what they mean, how to fix them in your practice. It's awesome. We also have some other resources that we'll put down in the show notes. We have a roadmap 
to practice profitability where you can take a look at the overall profitability in your practice. And if you're just struggling, you're like, I, I don't know what to do and I have no time, just raise your hand. We'll help you. And so we can connect you with Gina on our team. She's awesome. She's just a great advocate for people in this community and help them navigate to whatever the next step is and improve the practice. You'll also get a link for the Pit Stop downloadable. Gosh, we're just, I love this. You guys got to, you got to download this stuff. Use it. When you start reading it and sharing it with your team, share this podcast with your team. Like get on the same page. They're, they're probably like my team. They're tired of listening to you, doctor. Get somebody else to talk to your team. <laughs> There's a certain point where the doctor's voice, they can't hear it anymore. It sounds like Charlie Brown. So, um, and that's a natural thing. I have the same problem. Don't get me wrong. I have a coach that comes in here quarterly just to tell them great stuff, you know? So, um, and then uh, we'll also put our PPO roadmap and we're always improving that. Um so that you guys can move away and people can pay your full fee. I'm going to encourage you to go back to podcast 664, Winning with Data, which is the podcast that Miranda mentioned, seven practice KPIs to illuminate practice health. You'll enjoy that. That fits perfectly with this one. And um, what else can we add? Is there anything else? I think that's it. Yeah. Drop the mic. We're out. So <laughs> hope you guys enjoyed today. Miranda, thank you again. As always, um, that was so much fun. So much fun. I had a great time. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh, it's awesome. So hope you guys enjoyed that red flags to green lights strategies to transform your top three dental KPIs. Let me remind you, dentistry is the greatest profession ever. And when you feel confident about where you're going, you can improve your life, your team members' lives, your patients' lives, and everybody else that's involved. And we're going to keep bringing it. So you keep showing up. So keep sending us suggestions for things you guys want to see on the podcast and uh, we will line them up. So until we see you guys next time or you hear from us next time, keep watching or keep listening to the best practices show. You guys enjoy your day. So there you have it. Another great episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hey, and thank you for showing up. I just want to thank you for being here and sharing the good word with your friends. And if you're really enjoying the podcast, could you do me a favor? Could you go to wherever you consume the podcast and just give us a four or five star review? Here's what that does. It allows us to find other great people like you. I love this profession so much. I'm going to spend the rest of my professional life finding great information so that you can consume it and your friends can consume it so that you can create a better practice and a better life. So keep spreading the word and we will see you guys soon. Have a great day, everybody.